Lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. Great show today. We've got Dr. Andrew Whitman, and he's a United States Marine Corps Infantry Combat Veteran. He's a former police officer and a federal agent. As a special agent for the U.S. Capitol Police, Andrew led the security detail for Nancy Pelosi and has protected Hillary Clinton, Kings, I mean, Sir Elton John, and many Fortune 20 CEOs. He's a security contractor for the State Department, so he has taught high-threat diplomatic security to former Navy SEALs, Marines, Rangers, and Special Forces. Andrew is the founder of the Mental Toughness Training Center, a leadership consultancy specializing in peak performance, team dynamics, resolving conflict in the workplace, and is the author of the books Ground Zero Leadership, CEO of You, and Seven Secrets of Resilience for Parents. He holds a Ph.D. in Theological Studies. He's a guest lecturer at Clemson University, and he co-hosts the radio show Get Warrior Tough. He certainly sounds like a confident guy. Thank you, Andrew, for joining me. (laughs) Thanks for having me, Lee. It's a good time being back on this show again. Well, you know, it's so interesting because the people, we both do the same thing. You know, I, in my, my practice, I work with the everyday person that anxiety or depression mm. has kind of is pulling at them. and It's affecting their self-confidence and their self-esteem. And you're working with the special forces. You're working with professional athletes, business negotiators. I mean, you're working with a much different type of individual but in a lot of ways isn't it the same thing yeah it's all the same if you're a human we all have to deal with the same stuff like a lot of people think that because of what they do or their title or where the you know the arena they're performing in that they're different i found out we're all human it's the same across the board we all deal with ourselves (laughs) well and and you know the way of course it starts with me is confidence starts with the brain um, what's the relationship that you, your brain has and how does that affect your confidence? And I love in your book, you talk about three things that are part of the of self-confidence and you talk about the expert novice brain. I love that. Yeah, it's huge. Once you get a hold of that, it really can change your outlook on everything that you do. Once you know how the brain works, right? And that's really what I want to do is try to get my my body, which is my brain, as well as all the rest of my biology, my uh, mind and emotions to all cooperate together. And all three of those pieces, it goes together into, you know, getting that self-confidence and, and just knocking it out of the park every time, every day. So what is the first thing it takes to knock it out of the park? Well, the first thing is you, you can't fight your biology. So if you're not getting your sleep, nutrition, and fitness, and I know this sounds basic, but this is the difference between the expert and the novice brain. The expert does the is committed to and is consistent with, uh, you know, fitness, consistent with uh, healthy nutrition, consistent with getting our sleep and water intake and balancing our hormones. Because if your hormones are off, like Alex, you can't fight your biology. You're never going to win that fight, the fight against your body. Well, I agree with that. And I would say, you know, one of the foundations of confidence, too, is love. Being able to have self self care and self love, um, and that's pretty basic too. Right, and that's another yeah. If you go it, it, 
I always say you can't give anybody anything you don't have. If you don't love you, it's going to be really hard to give love away to everybody else or anybody else, right? So the first thing is is to love you. You're right. I, I agree with that 100%. So once you get your foundations right, I think, you know, you yeah. talk about in your book, commitment and commitment. That's a that's a mouthful. It is. And people like, you know, and I always like to use the chicken and the pig, right? The, the difference between involvement and committed. Right. So if I at breakfast, if you're having bacon and eggs, the pig is involved in the, or is committed to the breakfast. But the chicken is involved. Right. The chicken is eggs, but then going about their business. The pig is 100 percent all in, gave everything for the breakfast. Right. So. There's no levels of commitment. You either are committed or you're not committed, right? So I, I don't even like to hear talk about what's your level of commitment. There either is or you're not. So in my world, we call that all or nothing thinking. <laughs> There's well, this is, black or white. It is. There's no I, gray. Really, right. You, I call it burning the boats, right? So because, uh, you know, in, in the 1500s, there was a guy named Hernan Cortez who talked to the king and queen of Spain of financing his expedition to get all that Incan and Aztec gold in Mexico. And so they financed, uh, and they, he had three ships and 600 men and a few horses. And he was, he got there and he found out he was going up against 30,000 of the spec ops warriors of the world, if you will. They were a superpower, the Aztecs at that time. And he was like, well, you know, we're fighting for gold and they're fighting for their home and families. We'll never win this. It's not about the numbers. It's about what's our motivational, right? What's our commitment? So he had a big beach party for all of his men, and it was a clam bake. And what he did is he, he went back and snuck back, and he burnt the boats while they were on the beach party. So now the only way that they would get home to their families was to win uh, against the Aztecs. So And, and that's kind of – it does sound like all or nothing, but you have to be committed all in, burn the boats to whatever it is that you're, you know, you're trying to achieve. And for me, it's trying to achieve, you know, being mentally tough, criti have critical thinking, have emotional intelligence, right? Metacognition. I order my thoughts, how I make all my decisions. Once you're committed to having an orderly thought process, an orderly decision-making process, everything else falls in place. But I, I never go back on that. I'm not like the chicken. I'm, you know, I'm just giving the eggs for breakfast, right? I'm, I'm all in on ordering my thoughts. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's interesting because you mentioned expert and novice brain, and mm -hmm. we know that the novice brain, it relies on those emotions. It lets that amygdala drive the car. And anytime right. you're using emotions to drive the car, you're going in the wrong direction. Where when that expert piece comes into play, that's your prefrontal cortex. That's your executive center. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting because I saw a study in the journal Neuron, and it suggested that confidence may actually be a measurable brain activity. So what they did at Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory, they looked at rats, and those little critters, they exhibit confidence the same way humans, by their willingness to wait longer for a reward. Mm -hmm. When they feel confident, when they feel they made the right decision, they would wait. And so the researchers were able to determine the part of the brain behind that. And, it, you know, it was so interesting to me because they trained the rats to respond to two different or odors that were associated with two different doors. And behind one of the doors was a reward. And they even, those researchers got a little feisty. They mixed up the two odors, but they made sure one scent was dominant. And the goal was for the rat to choose the right door based on the dominant or odor. Right. And they found that the rats that were confident, 
they would wait. They would sit there and they would wait for that correct door to open. Um, you know, rats have more time to play with than we do. So I'm not so sure that that patients, um, humans are that patient. But I know that you talk about how important consistency is for confidence. Right. And and to go along with what you're saying about the rats, it's also delayed gratification for us. Right. So we, we know we're committed to getting that reward. So we're going to keep walking down the path to get it. And that's where consistency comes is where I'm going to practice and be disciplined every day um, in the thing that I'm trying to be an expert in. And for me, being it, it's thinking my thoughts. I want to be an expert on how do I think my thoughts and controlling my thoughts, control, getting my thoughts and my emotions and my body to all work together. So we call it biopsychology. Right. So I want to be an expert in that. Because then any skill that I do, whether it's driving the car, business negotiation or relationship or, you know, just navigating, you know, rush hour traffic, you're going to be, you know, more confident in everything you do because you're confident in your decision making ability. So, But every day you have to practice it like any other skill. Like if it's sports, that's why the, the champions are out working on their the skills of their sport every day until it becomes autopilot. Right. They they've neurons that fire together, wire together, and they built those super highways of the skill. That's what the novice versus the expert, the expert golfer, they've already built the neural pathways. They're not worried about it. There's no anxiety uh, on the pre-shot swing, right? The novice golfer, the one that just goes out like once a week or whatever, they got to try and remember what was it I was supposed to do again. And, uh, you know, and then the worry and the anxiety all comes in. So you could bypass all that by just rerouting how you think your thoughts. But, it, you know, it's not just your thoughts, is it? I mean, don't you have to think it and act it and speak it? Right. Well, that's the consistent, right? That's the congruency. I call it being congruent, but being consistent, being congruent. So I want to look at myself like I'm a champion, like I have confidence. I want to see myself as someone who's confident in my mind. And then I also want to act like that. I want to breathe like that, think like that, speak like that. I want all those things congruently to match up. Right. So I say well, we always live three lives. Right. We live a public life, a private life and a secret life to be 100 percent confident. What I want to do is get all three of those lives to match up. Right. So that my self-talk and my inner thoughts are not full of doubt. Right. I don't just put on the show on the public life. I actually believe those things that I am a champion. I believe that I can handle whatever life throws my way, that I'll work through it. Right. And when you have all three of those public, private and secret life lining up, um, and then you then you're congruent across the board. You know, you're not putting on a show, you know, for the public. You're not acting different in front of your family than you are inside your own head. Right. What your self talk is. Well, I mean, I think the way I say it is you have to be true to yourself. You you know, it's when you're not true to yourself. And a lot of times I see this with my clients. They're doing a job that they don't believe in. They right. hate that job. Right. And they don't feel like they're any good at it. Well, and then, again, yeah, they're not being true to themselves. And this goes back to like the commitment, right? So did, you know, are you committed? So what I want to do is commit to living my best life, commit to using all my talents and abilities to their best possible advantage, right? So I'm not going to just take a job because it was convenient or I have bills to pay. If I do for now, that's fine. But what I want to do is set up what I call the Emerald City, right? What do I want my life to look like at the end? Like, where am I going with this? I, what's my 20-year plan, my 50-year plan? So I personally have a 300-year plan. So this, uh, it's, right, it's multi-generational. And I, I'll tell you, it helps your confidence so much because if you look at it from a 300-year point of view, I'm going somewhere that'll take me 300 years to get there. 
If I have a bad day, do I really care? Not in light of 300 years. I could have a bad week. I could have a bad decade, and it won't knock me off track, right, because I have this 300-year plan. It's going to go beyond me. And people laugh at that, but I always ask, like, how can people like Paris Hilton do what she does, whatever it is that she does? It's because her great-grandfather had a 300-year plan, right? Anderson Cooper of CNN. Yeah, Anderson Cooper, he's a Vanderbilt. He does, he does the work at CNN in 60 minutes because he loves the job. He doesn't need the money because his great-great-great-grandfather had a 300-year plan, right? And so that's why they can have confidence. And, and listen, there's a, there's a ton of confidence in you setting large targets and then going down the path towards them. It's really not different than what the rats are doing. And I know you say we don't have as much time as rats, but I think we do because rats don't live as long as we do. Well, good point. And, you know, when you say a 300-year plan, we got lots of time. Right. And then I'm not, I'm not panicking and I'm not uh, under pressure to perform. Uh, like, I think I have to get this. A lot of times we're, we are our own worst enemy. We put fake deadlines on ourselves or we're not as far along in the process or wherever in our lives. But when you set out, the, like I said, the Emerald City, then you can deal with the Yellow Brick Road, right? And remember, on the Yellow Brick Road, Dorothy, Tin Man, Scarecrow, and Lion, they all— we're going to the Emerald City. They all had a purpose for going. Each one had their own purpose. But they had to deal with, like, flying monkeys and witches were trying to kill them and bad weather and poppy fields, right? Like, why would you go through all that and not be stressed? Because they knew that they were going to, you know, hit their purpose, to fulfill their purpose, to get to their destination of the Emerald City. And that builds confidence. And that – well, and, you know, you're right, commitment. They Dorothy wanted to go home. And, you know, the lion wanted the heart. Everybody wanted something. And I think that one of the things that I use with my clients is visualization. You know, I try to get them to help to visualize. What does that look like? You know, what do you see yourself? And to go back to something you said earlier, what do you dress like? Don't tell me you're in that T-shirt and those (laughs) flip-flops. I mean, come on. (laughs) Right. What's well, so the uniform of the day for me is always like I always have, you know, khakis. I wear cowboy boots, which are, you know, usually an exotic skin cowboy boot, a blazer and a button down. I, I be, be like, you know, hanging out in you know the backyard wearing that or, you know, so I'm always wearing the and people are like, you dress so nice. I'm really it's like jeans and a T-shirt and blazer, the polo shirt. But when you when you carry yourself and like the blazer like sets it off, right? So you do want to dress in a certain way. You want to like, and I always used to, when I go and buy a car, I would make sure I got a big Starbucks mug on the way there, you know, coffee. So it looks like I'm drinking fancy coffee and I'm dressed up. And when you walk on the lot, right, you're going to get a better deal on the car. You have more confidence. So it, it all goes back to what you said about being true to yourself, but don't be true to yourself, to the, the self that is, uh, you know, uh, anxious, the self that's fearful, the self that's doubtful, you got to override that and realize that every human has those same doubts, fears, and anxieties. So you got to relax on that because everybody on the planet has to deal with those. So you can overcome them and you don't want to be true to those things. You want to be true to the, the champion that's inside of you. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. And you know, the way that I look at it is, is we all have positive and negative thoughts. And if you right. listen to those negative thoughts and you let that chit chat play in your head round and round and round, you're, you're not being true to yourself. You're playing into your fears. And, you know, this is a true fact. Research has shown that we have three times more positive events every day right. in our life than we do negative. But what does the brain remember? It, it's so true. It's, and you know, and they, that, 
there's also research that says that out of the 70 to 80,000 thoughts that we have a day, you know, 80 to 90 percent of them are negative. You know, yep. even even those of us that work on it, it's an uphill climb. They just phrase something instead of saying what I don't want. What is it that I do want? Just that simple well, exercise what we pay right attention there. To. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you're paying attention to what you don't want, you're not getting any closer to what you do want. Right. I call it target elimination, right? It's almost like, cause I train sniper and I, I use this, you know, as a kind of an icebreaker for those guys when I'm training, I'm like, it'd be like if we were on a, you know, a mission and then you, I was the sniper and you're the observer and you're like, Andrew, what's our target? I'm like, yeah, see that rock over there? Like, yeah. And I go, that's not it. Well, <laughs> oh, well, what is it then? Andrew, see that tree over there? That's not it. Like snipers don't do target elimination. They don't even leave to go on the mission until they've identified the target. And they've done their research and they know what the target is and when they, where they have to be at what time, right? So, But a lot of people go through life doing target elimination. I don't want to do this job. I don't want to do that job or this major in college. And then I change majors in college. And then I don't even use what I did in college to get, you know, I have a job that I didn't even want. And, you know, and so it really does mess with your confidence when you're playing the, I get, you know, the thing I don't want, target elimination game, if you will. Well, and... and- it's not just you, it's your family. A lot of times right. we're, in, we're in a marriage and, and maybe our partner, our spouse has aspirations for us that are very different than what we aspire to. And many times in a professional environment, our boss, they, they look at our future in a way that's most beneficial to their well-being, maybe not necessarily how we look at our future. Right. So it can be confusing. Yeah. No, no doubt. That's why you have to be solid in your commitment to, you know, yourself and how you think and, and, your, and your identity, right? Who you are. And really that's where that congruency comes in. That's one of the first things I do with clients is we set up an identity statement. It's an I am who is, right? So I am, my identity statement is I'm a man of excellence who always keeps his word, no matter whether I'm a, being a father, a husband, the, you know, CEO of my company, little league coach, a PTA volunteer, no matter what role I'm playing, I'm always a man of excellence who always keeps his word, right? So we want to like, and then I congruent with that no matter where I am in life. And it does, it, it grounds you, right? So that you're not tossed um, by other people's agendas or social pressures or circumstances, right? Or even those doubts and fears. I mean, and you make it sound so simple. I am who is, I mean, but when you but when you try to answer that, because I thought, oh, I know who I am, and then I kind of paused. I'm like, okay, well, I need to think about that. <laughs> you know, yeah, the that's... who is is easier for mm-hmm. me than the I am. Where yeah. do you see people struggle with more? Well, it's really it's it's in a process. But they usually tell me all the thing, all the roles they play. Like I'm a you know, husband or I'm a father and a, you know, this, that I'm an EVP of a, right. So a lot of times it is the, who is that they could tell me, which is a role they play, but I want to get it to internals, not externals. Right. So I want to move it to what are the things that I, the internal strengths that I want to highlight or that I aspire to. Right. So I, I aspired to always keep my word. Right. So that was the, who always keeps his word. That's what I aspire to. So it's, it's half a faith statement. Right. So has there been times where I've let people down? Yes, but I aspire to always keep my word. And excellence, see, once I've decided that I am a man of excellence, I can't do half-step efforts on anything, right? I'm all in all the time. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to give it my absolute best effort. And that's another thing that I ask people. Can you tell me a time 
when you know that you know that you gave your absolute best effort, and if you could point to a time, tell me about that. When you could tell me what your best effort was, then I'm like, okay, so that's your baseline of your best effort. Now, when you say I'm doing the best I can, are you really doing the best you can? That's an interesting point. You may be doing the best that you can at that point in time. But are you doing the best that you can? Is it your best effort? See, for me, yeah. when I realized when my best effort, my absolute best effort was I was a rookie cop on the street. And the first time this guy, he was, hey, I'm a pretty big guy. I'm 6'5", 220. This guy was like 6'8", and 320, right? And he was a football player, like a professional guy that didn't make it, right? He hurt his knee or whatever. And he's drunk, and he's smashed the TV, and he's, you know, you know yelling at the wife. So it's a domestic. I get there. And he... He's wrestling with me as I'm trying to, you know, break them up. And he's trying to take my gun. And I know if you're trying to take my gun, that means I'm about to get killed, right? So the, my best <laughs> effort is against this guy that outweighs me by 100 pounds and he's got, you know, six inches on me and he's a professional football player. My best effort is to keep that gun and to get away from this guy. I remember what that best effort took, right? And so that's kind of my baseline. And you don't have to have a life in death. But, you know, for my wife, it was like her best effort was when she gave birth to our kids without any you know, without any epidural or anything like that, they, you know, she's like, I want it. They're like, it's too late. You know, you're going to have to just, you know, do the labor and delivery without any, you know, and she did it and it was her best effort. Right. I mean, she got through it and it was, you know, so I, I always like to like pin it to something. That's my baseline. And then when I'm saying I'm really doing my best here, are you? Cause probably not. So how often do you think people really do their best, their absolute best? I don't know. You know, I, I, it's not very many, but you'll see the high performers, the ones that do. They're, that's, they're the ones that are committed, that they are consistent and they are congruent. Right. So they're going to give their they're going to go out there and give their best effort, leave it on the field. That's why you'll see like in sports, it's the same teams that are always winning year after year or the same coaches or the same, you know, you know, like Tom Brady, you know, is winning every year, every year, every year. It's because of this. It doesn't right? matter where he is. Right. It doesn't matter where he is. Right. So it's. And, and these are the these are the folks that are it's just who they are now. And, and they're congruent with that. Like at the time that he's not going to give his best effort, he'll retire. Right. And so I, that's kind of what I did with law enforcement. When I, you know, did my time was up, I was like, I'm just going through the motions. This is it's time for me to get out of this because I'm not giving my best effort. And so I made the course correction. Right. So um, I don't know how often you do it, but I know not very many people even think about when was my best effort and could I tell that story? So if you can think about when your best effort happened and you can tell that start, that story, mm -hmm. then you're putting a stick in the dirt. You're drawing the line. When I can do as well as I did then, I'm doing my best. Is that? Right. Yes. And that boosts your confidence because now you've just told yourself a time where you gave your best effort and you know what you have in the tank. So that gives you the confidence to do it again because you've already done it once. This isn't new territory anymore, right? So you found this? It's like you're telling your war stories. Well, you know, and, and those war stories, you know, the brain is so good at that storytelling. And that's, I think, what really messes with people's confidence because the, the brain – the way that it interprets and processes information is it writes a story. We all love stories. We love to read. We love to watch movies. But, you know, the stories that the brain writes, they're not necessarily based on accuracy. That's if there's true. missing information, I mean, not. 
<laughs> exactly. They'll just, okay, I'll just pull this in. Well, we wouldn't you stop and look at it? That's probably distorted, but it doesn't matter to the brain. If that story's got to flow, it's got to be coherent. So let's just stick that in. So then you've got these stories playing in the brain that I think represent a lot of unmet needs that haven't been addressed. Um, and those stories are what I see take people down. And, and it, it's easy. When life is good, when everything, we're all on the top of our game, it's much easier to be confident. But when you got that brain They'll pull out that negative story and that can almost take you to your knees makes it a whole lot harder. And I'm sure you've seen that with the type of people that you work with. I mean, what is the if you had one piece of advice to give somebody that was struggling, what would that be? Well, what you said about the, the, the way we tell our story and it doesn't have the reticular activating system, right? That RAS, that's the thing that can't tell the difference between what's real and what's synthetic. So when we're dreaming, it feels like it's real, even though we know it's violating the laws of physics, right? So the good news is that story that you get works both ways. It doesn't know the difference between synthetic or real events. So I want to use it to my advantage and I'm going to embellish, if you will, the good things and it builds your confidence. And soon your brain believes the good stories. And I want to I retell, I reframe my bad stories into good ones. Don't we all? <laughs> and if you do that, it'll change your confidence, right? It's all, they're all, I quote, all my stories are quote based on a true story. They're, they're all based on true events, right? But I always want to frame it in a way that helps me to my greatest advantage, not hurts me. Well, and I think, you know, reframing our stories and rethinking is very important. And it's it's something that we all can do. And I think it's really, I'm not going to use the word simple, but if you shift your focus mm-hmm. away from the negative and you shift that focus to the positive, it makes a huge difference in how you're telling your story. Yeah, and I'd like, because the brain has to answer a question. So I always ask myself this question. How could I use this, whatever just happened or whatever I'm thinking of? How could I use that to my greatest possible advantage? Right? Because the brain has to answer a question. It's the original search engine. That's an excellent point. Don't wait. You know, check in with yourself right then, right there, and let that story be written in, in a positive way. Oh my gosh. That is such a that's a great suggestion for all of us. Certainly for myself. Because, you know, I tend to be reflective. Oh, let me stop and let me think about that. No, I'm going to stop that. (laughs) (laughs) No more of that stuff. Right. How can I use this to, you know, so I always see myself as the champion or the hero in my own movie. I mean, it sounds crazy, but it helps your self-confidence and it helps your, you know, your biology and your bio, your physiology, too. Well, you know, it does. And I think it's my affirmation back in October of 19, a tornado came and took down my office. And as I'm standing there sinking into the wet carpet, I kept saying, I'm coming back bigger and better and stronger. And I must have said that that day, probably 90% of the day. And now when times get tough, I'm coming back bigger and better and stronger. After the break, we'll hear more. We'll be back after these messages. It's merging and we're heard. Want to 
Watching a television commercial featuring images of a piping hot, juicy cheeseburger can certainly give any of us audacity. That's a voracious appetite. But it is really hard to make food look appetizing on TV because as soon as it hits the plate, it starts to wilt, perspire, melt, dry out, and deflate while trying to film it. Directors have to resort to all kinds of tricks to keep the food on TV looking delectable. Brown shoe polish is painted onto burgers and steaks to make them look like they're right off the grill. Hairspray is used to prevent lettuce and vegetables from wilting, and deodorant is sprayed on grapes to make them glisten and shine. What's a word for food that's unfit for human consumption? Keg mag. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We all know that alarm clocks were invented for people who don't have kids. But before the alarm clock was invented, how did people wake up in time for work? Previous to the alarm clock gaining popularity, people in Britain and Ireland might have been awakened each morning by a knocker-up. A knocker-up was a person that was paid a few pence a week to wake up slugabeds and clinomaniacs. Those are people who like to sleep in. Knocker-ups used pea shooters to roust folks who were oversleeping and long bamboo sticks to reach windows on higher floors. It was the responsibility of the knocker-up to not leave the window until they were sure their client didn't go back to sleep, even if they had metutilepia, otherwise known as waking up on the wrong side of the bed. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and Words You Never Heard has been brought to you by the Bariatric Surgery Center of Dallas. We're back. Now here is your host, Lee Richardson. We're coming back bigger and better and stronger. And, you know, I was starting to talk about that before the break. The, in October of, of 2019, a tornado came and it took my office down. And I really didn't even realize that I had lost everything in my office. I saw it on the news Monday morning. Of course, I was at the health club on the elliptical and I thought, wow, oh my gosh, that private school that's right across from my office, I need to get there. So for three hours, I think that I'm going to work my way up to my office and I can't. So I go home. I think, well, okay, at least get put on some real clothes and I get dressed because I think I'm going to my office and I think I'm going to start working. So I go and I finally figure out if I go down the tow road, go past the exit that I'm supposed to take, two exits, get off, I can work my way back. So I work my way back and I park my car in a residential street as close as I could get. And I just start walking. And I walk in and, and it honestly looked like a war scene. It mm. was, I was just, I didn't know what, to, I was in shock. But I'm still thinking, that's okay. Everything's going to be just fine in my office. I walk in the door. I open the door. And I had on my new suede boots. And I step into my office. And I feel my, my boot just sink into that carpet. And water comes right over in my toes. And I'm like, oh, mm. this, this isn't good. I look up. And I see the installation hanging out of the ceiling. And I'm like, this isn't good. Wow. And I get, I get into my office. And 
there's just everything is covered in water. Of course, I'm still convinced I'm going to get all my equipment out of there. <laughs> I still have, right. you know, so I man, I just get busy. I start, and mainly it was my technology that I was concerned about. And I hear people, I hear people down the hall screaming, oh my gosh, come look at this. You know, I'm like, I don't want to look at this. I got to stay focused. Um, but I learned so, uh, that, and I just kept saying to myself, I'm going to come back bigger and better and stronger. I'm going to, and I just said it over and over. And really it gave me that mental toughness that I needed because what I had two choices, I could sit down on the floor and cry about it, or I could just keep trying to, to pull it all out. Right. And that's keep working the problem. Right. That's what we call it. There you go. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I love that story. And, um, you know, when that feeling of, you know, the water coming over your boots and then and you did come back bigger, better and stronger. And that's like what I call my our emotional business plan. I always want to remember what that felt like so that I can, you know, go back to that as an anchor and then use that when I'm going through another tough time. Like you said, then COVID hit the next year, you know what it's like? And who knows what next year is going to bring? Like these things are going to happen in life. So we're going to need that emotional blueprint. Yeah, we need that, that emotional business plan, if you will, on how to succeed when these things happen. And I fell right back into that affirmation. I'm coming back bigger and better and stronger. But, you know, I was so, my mind was in such a different spot because I closed when the governor of Texas said, if you're not in the central business, you should close. And I'm, I'm a therapist. I'm a psychotherapist, but I'm a neurotherapist. So I work very closely. It's not like I could social distance eight feet and do the psychotherapy piece because it's right. all integrated. Mm-hmm. So I did close. And, I, and instead of, okay, what, you know, how, okay, I'm going to, I think resilience, I need some resilience. You know what? I'm going to do some resilience training. I'm going to use this time to make myself bigger and better and stronger. And I brought, I developed a resilience training program that I use with my clients on an individual basis. When I'm in that role as performance coach, I'll pull that out. I found the listening program, which is something that it was so interesting because Alex Domain had sent an email to a user group that I am and said, Hey, I know you guys in the mental health field, Life's not good right now. Why don't you try the listening program? And it's it's classical music that's been neurologically imprinted with, with the brain waves. And so I thought, well, heck yeah, it's free. I mean, because I, I have to be honest, I was going through some depression. Yeah. And I noticed after 10 days of doing that, I was feeling so much better. So I call Alex. I'm like, Alex, everybody needs to know about this. You know, you've got to come on my radio show. And he's like, sure. So book him two weeks out, and then I started to learn about it. And by the time he came on my radio show, I was certified. I was a certified <laughs> provider. That's awesome. I love it. See, this but is this is the awesome thing. Right, exactly. And that's what you can – all of us – and I, this is one of the things I teach my kids, that if you can find somebody else that did something, then you know humans can do it. It's possible. So it shouldn't even be a question that you could do it as well. Right? So if one person has done it, anybody yeah. could do it. So I always like to look, you know, help boost my confidence is look at other people. I have heroes and mentors, like a whole team of them of in every area of different areas of life. Right. So um, that way I know it has already been done. Like you once you learned about it, you took off and you did it in two weeks. You know what I mean? Like that's that's just unheard of to be certified in two weeks. That's crazy. Well, let, let's be honest, Andrew. I didn't have anything else to 
do. <laughs> right, but you could have just curled up just like you could have after the tornado and, and you know, kind of rubbernecked and looked at this and looked at that and think, well, now and be in despair. But instead, you, you know, you started to work the problem. And, and listen, I, whenever you do these, it, it really helps others in the end, but it really helps us, right? So, I mean, you know, yes, everyone needed to know, but, you know, it helped you. Right. And that's what they, really I've been obsessed with mental toughness because I wasn't mentally tough. Right. I mean, you know, my story, I was like the fat kid in high school and got bullied and living my life in fear and anxiety. That's why I joined the Marine Corps, because I wanted mental toughness. You know, so that's like always been my obsession. And yes, it's helped a lot of other people, but I've been the biggest benefactor of resilience and mental toughness, even though I help a lot of people. But I'm the biggest benefactor. And that's what it's all about. When it's a win win situation, what inspires you more? Then to help somebody and you're helping yourself. I mean, that's, I love it. I absolutely love when I get that feeling. Yeah. And then remember that again, go back to our emotional, you know, business plan. Remember how that feels like and how you got there so that you could go back to that spot at any time and you can anchor yourself when, when the storms of life come, you'll have that, you'll remember where to go. Right. And this is one of the things I always like to tell people, like just with the best effort is another anchor. Right. So I want to kind of catalog these things and either journal them. I, you know, I like to handwrite stuff, not type it. I mean, there's studies that say, you know, you, you retain it like 80 percent more if you handwrite things. So I kind of handwrite my journal of these stories. So and how I felt so that we can anchor. And I taught my kids to do the same thing. Remember what that, that felt like at this time. You know, remember what it feels like when you lose. Right? Remember what it feels like when you win. Remember what, it, you know, and what did you feel like and you lose that you hated it? Then you got to take that and use it as rocket fuel to get back to where you want to be. Don't just be like, oh, this is devastating. No, use it as, yep, I've been here before and I use it as motivation to get to where I want to go. Been here, done that, moving on. Yeah, got the T-shirt, the coffee mug, right? All those good things. Yeah. So let me ask you a question because – what I find with my clients, and we work with kind of different interest groups, but, you know, something has happened in their life, and they have not forgiven themselves for it. They for, it's easy to forgive everybody else. Yeah. Well, it's not easy, but, easier. but it's easier, it easier to forgive others, but they can't forgive themselves. Do you, have you encountered that? Yeah, and, and really that kind of goes back to self-acceptance, right? And, and then realizing that every person on the planet has failed themselves and others at some time. None of us are perfect, right? It's the human condition, right? So I, I was like, listen, all of us have these issues, right? All of us look in the mirror and see our flaws, right? So I want to do is accept myself, make the course correction. I call it changing spark plugs, right? So when we look at what we did that we can't forgive ourselves, I say, well, it's like when I was, you know, my kids were young, they were teenagers and I told them to go cut the grass and they would come in and say the lawnmower won't start. And I'm like, listen, I was a teenager. I invented the lawnmower won't start. Get out there and cut the grass. They're like, no, dad, it won't start. I'm like, all right, let's go. So I'm pulling the thing, pulling the thing. And it's not, you know, it's not, it's nothing. It's not happening. And I'm like, wow, what is it? You know, so we start doing the check and you get all the way down. You find out it's the spark plug is bad. So did I feel bad and not forgive myself that the spark plug went out? Did I have regrets about the spark plug? Did I feel guilty about the spark plug? No, what did I do? I went to the store and got a new spark plug, put it in and cut the grass, right? So we just want to call a change in spark plug. Whenever you're at that spot where like, oh, I can't forgive myself or I regret that. No, we're just changing spark plugs, man. We'll just make the course correction, learn from it, and then we're moving on. 
right? It, well, you wouldn't feel guilty about changing spark plugs in the lawnmower. I'm certainly you shouldn't feel bad about this. Absolutely. You know, sometimes uh, what I find is it's the way that I will react in a stressful situation. And I think that goes back to, you know, when you're talking about congruence, mm -hmm. when everything is not congruent and or, or I let myself react in a way that's not congruent. And usually when I do that, it's that little Miss Amy, little amygdala coming out <laughs> and playing it, playing with emotions. Right. Um, you know, how do you stop that? Well, I call it the difference. This is part of what I teach when I, and my coach and my corporate, I call it, you know, going from being a first responder to an emotional reactor, right? So I want to channel the 911 operator, no matter what comes. Like, have you ever made a 911 call or seen one on TV or heard one? Oh, yeah. Okay. So how's the 911? Are they like, oh my gosh, your house is on fire? Are they emotionally reacting? No, they're very calm and they say, they're asking a question. 911, what's your emergency? So what I want to do is channel the 911 operator. The first thing anytime I hear any news at all is I'm going to ask that question, what's the emergency? Because 99.9% .9 of the time, it's not actually an emergency. But if it does happen to be an emergency, what does the 911 operator do is they begin to gather facts and information so they can come up with a plan of response to send to the firefighter who is the first responder. So that's what I want to do is gather enough information so I can come up with a plan of response instead of being an emotional reactor. So channel the 911 operator. One of it's kind of like a mantra. I'd be like 911. What's your emergency? 911. You know, like that's going around in my head so that I don't have that emotional reactor, you know, uh, meltdown, if you will, when any, you know, when I'm not being congruent, as you said, missing. Well, you know, that's really interesting because what I tell my clients to do is use your observation skills. Those are the, some of the most powerful things that you have. What What do you see? Right. What do you hear? What do you smell? You know, pay attention to what is going on around you instead of reacting to the negative thoughts that are going on in your head. Um, so that's I like that. Nine one one. I'm going to use that. Yeah. What's the emergency? Yeah, because well, it's probably not an emergency, just some information that you didn't really like. And but if we don't like it, then we get fearful and then we think it is an emergency. Right. When like someone cutting you off in traffic or someone, you know, they, they didn't use their clicker or what. I mean, and I always do this, too. I'm like, whenever I start to get upset like that, I do the 911. What's your emergency? Then I begin to think, have I ever done that? Well, of course I've done. That. <laughs> so, you know, I should probably give them you know, the benefit. I did it and I didn't mean to do it. I mean, I wasn't cutting somebody off because it's like I wasn't paying attention or whatever. So if I've probably done that or something similar. I should probably give them a free pass because I would like it if someone wasn't, you know, flipping me off for making a mistake. So I'm probably not going to do that to them. You, you know what I mean? So I'm having this conversation with myself and that's what my self talk is. Like if I've done something like that before, yeah, I probably have. So I, I, yeah. Okay. I could see that. You, you so you me? show a little, I do. You show a little compassion, you know, right. I understand that. I mean, yeah, it happens. Yeah. Cause I'm looking for it for myself. Yeah, it's really selfish. Right? I, I want to get a free pass. Like if I did a mistake and cut somebody off, I'd like it that they didn't lay on the horn and they were just waiting. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. Right. So I'm going to try and do that same thing for somebody else. Right. Because and karma or what comes around goes around, reap what you sow, whatever. The principles the same. Right. So I'm going to like put my good stuff out there so I get good stuff back. Well, I do believe what goes around comes around. Right. I, I absolute. And, and I also believe that whatever you throw out there, you better throw out there without any strings attached. Yes. Because 
that's not if, if there are strings attached that's not true giving no it's not at all it's not giving at all it's manipulation it is so kind of we've talked around integrity a lot today and i think that there are many levels of integrity so what are your thoughts on that yeah it's definitely different um definition i i can say levels but you know is there emotional integrity do you have you know is it honesty integrity is it integrity like a dam there's no cracks in it there's no leaks here um so that's one of the things that i i try not to hem anybody in with and burden them because when you say are you questioning my integrity any of us yes because there is times where i've leaked out where my emotions have leaked out and I became an emotional reactor. That was a break in my integrity, right? <laughs> or the integrity of the dam, right? Stuff leaked out. So I think we have this integrity is a truth. And I kind of like would rather define it before we start. You know what I mean? Like, how, what do you mean when you say integrity? And what do I mean? Because a lot of times we use truths and you, it means one thing to you and it means another thing to me. So I always want to try and Good go point. to the higher truth. Yeah, it's kind of like is the glass half empty or half full? Those are either either those are correct, but one's a lower truth and one's a higher truth, right? The lower truth, half empty, is looking at what I don't have, whereas half full is the higher truth is well, I'm looking at what I do have and how can I use it to my best possible advantage. So when we're talking about integrity, it could be different things to different people. Do, do you know what I mean? I do. I mean, to me, integrity means one thing: be true to yourself. That's, and I'm sure that there. Are, other ways to define it. But when I feel like that my integrity is in check, yeah. it has a lot to do with I'm being true to myself, my, my core values, my beliefs, right. those things. Correct. So then, yes, I mean, you, you definitely want to, you know, shore that up. Right. And, and build this, what I call a stronghold, right. Where I continue to uh, guard my heart and my integrity and my character, my congruence, that's, you know, secret life and make sure that I'm, living that secret life both privately and publicly so then i don't have to remember am i you know i'm not backstabbing anybody and again true to yourself all the way down to the core um so i we have been talking about that the whole show and it, and it does help your confidence listen when i don't have to remember who i have to be when i go to a certain in front of a certain audience i'm just me i'm andrew all the time you know i'm just totally transparent it's so free because the people, it's I'm, I'm so not, much I, easier. It is. I don't have to remember, like, oh, I was like, can I, you know, should I say that? Should I not say this? Or, you know, or am I going to act this way or that way? I just act me. I just be me, right? And so the yes, the, uh, it does help your confidence when you walk in that integrity or that congruency or you know, how, however your clients want to define it, you know. Well, and one thing I always say: nobody can do you better than you. So <laughs> my wife used to tell our kids when they tattle on each other, she goes, you do you, you worry about them. You do you. Yeah. There you go. Wise words, you know? So let's talk a little bit about gratitude because mm -hmm. gratitude is something that I use to keep myself grounded and I use it to keep myself in my integrity. So Absolutely. What do you think about gratitude? Uh, I, it's funny because like this just a couple of weeks ago. My and I even hate to say this because it makes people mad, but my 2020 was such a good year. Like it was so good. It was good for my family. It was so good that I was laying. I couldn't get to sleep one. I was like, I was right right around the Christmas holiday, and I was just thinking back on the year and all the good things that happened and how grateful I was. 
I was just overcome with gratitude. I couldn't sleep. I was like, I literally got out of the bed and I was up till like four in the morning, like, like literally weeping with how grateful I was for all the goodness in life. Like I, it was almost like I couldn't, you know, it's like it was overwhelming the, the waves of gratitude when I really sat down and thought out all the things that happened in 2020. Um, and, and, and how blessed we were and, you know, compared to like anybody else, you know, that was having a hard time. And I, it's uh and I look, we still had to do the COVID stuff. You still had all the same stuff. The economy got shut down. I mean, I make my living doing public speaking, right? That all went away like the entire year. So my, I mean, I lost like, you know, all my revenue after February, which <laughs> that's like yeah. 10 months of, right? There's no revenue. I mean, so it, it's not that it was like we didn't have stuff that we had to deal with, but I'm super grateful. I'm just focusing on all the great things, um, like our family being together, and we actually like each other. I mean, you know, I got two college – well, one graduated from college in 2020. He missed his graduation. It was virtual. But he got to be home, right? And, my, and the one that's a junior this year, he got to be home. And my junior in high school, she got to be home. And we were all together, and it was so hard to get all five of us under the one roof maybe two days out of the year. To have that for like six or eight months was just amazing. It was like going back to when they were kids again. You know, it was just so much fun. I know exactly what you mean because neither one of my boys live in Dallas. And so, we, you know, once a week we did family Zoom calls. Yeah. And it, just being able to, I mean, and, and I talk to them all the time. But, but to be able to see them and talk to them. Right. And, you know, oh, my gosh, John, you haven't shaved in, in a, you haven't shaved in a week. <laughs> I you love know, it, I was like, right? Mom. You know, mom, I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's so great. (laughs) But it gave us something to laugh about. Right. And that's the stuff I'm grateful for, right? That we have, you know, there was a a song, a country song. I can't remember who sang. I want to say it was Trace Edkins, but you're going to miss this when, you know, you're all stressed out when the kids are little and they get big, you're going to miss this. Right. And it's so true. We did. And I want to just grab hold of all the good stuff in life and remember it as best I can and enjoy it in the moment uh, because we will miss it. When we're not together, you know, this 2021 is ramping up. My travel schedule is opening back up and we're all gone. You know, five of us aren't in the house. You know, it's like you're lucky if two of us are in the house again, you know, yeah. the one's back at college. One's, you know, moving to Florida and, you know, it's, it's, you know, so I'm, I look back on 2020. I was just so grateful that we had that time together. You know, it's just so gratitude is yes. It's a huge, huge piece of changing the narrative, if you will, changing your story from you could look at all the bad things, but I don't, I'm not going to, I, I, I feel way better being grateful for all the good things. You and me both. And when I, you know, when I look at 2020, I was at first concerned, you know, there was a lot of fear, but you know, I used to get up at 4:45 every day so that I could go to the gym and I could be here at nine o'clock. I don't do that anymore. <laughs> I I don't do that anymore. I don't get up until six o'clock. And can I tell you something? I love it. Right. I absolutely love it. Exactly. So you were putting like, you're putting your own deadlines on yourself, stuff that you had to do that you don't really have to do. That's one of the blessings of COVID that there's a lot of things we thought we had to do that we don't have to do. But I think that's going to be true in 2021. I hope so. I hope we learned our lesson and we don't go back to what I call the rat race, right? (laughs) We don't want to. Yeah. Or the, the hamster on the wheel where he's just going faster and faster and faster, but you're not moving forward in life, you know? And I think that we're all come out of it with some some lessons that we've learned, or I hope we all have. I, I hope certainly so. have. Me too, I man. Mean, I'm grateful for him. I get it. I'm grateful for him. 
you and me both. And, and, you know, I never, I've never painted in my entire life. And in 2020, I kept thinking, I need to, I want to be creative. You yeah. know, I'd really like to paint. Well, you can't paint because you can't go take a painting lesson anywhere. Well, I still, I, and my son-in-law, Henry, he's a, he's a fantastic painter. He's painted since he was a kid. He's like, Lee, we can do Zoom meetings, you know? Right. I'll, I'll get on there with you and paint with you. And now I have a, I have a piece of art, which that's, you know, what I call it hanging in my <laughs> office. I love it. And, and I, I, would you consider it a piece of art? I don't know, but it doesn't yeah. matter. Not just I that, do. but I would look at it and, and, and also use it again. There'd be another anchor for me, another marker for, you know, what good can come out of things that, you know, what seems like it was meant for evil, it could get folded back for good. And here's another piece of it, right? So at any time, we can always fold back our evil circumstances for good. And that's just what we can't control. I, can't, I don't worry about anything I can't control. But my little, you know, in my world, my bubble, especially in my self-talk and my story, I can control that. You can control that. And is there any advice? I mean, if, if somebody, because I've had clients say, well, give me some good self-talk statements, you know, and I'm like, well, let me think about that. But it, what are some good self-talk statements? Well, that one you said, I like bigger, faster, stronger. I use that one a lot. You know, better, faster, bigger, fa- bigger, faster, stronger is like the old uh, $6 million man from the 70s. You know, do, 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 do. We build them back bigger, faster, stronger. You know, that's a good mantra. I mean, I use that yeah. with athletes after coming off an injury. I would tell them, I'm like, listen, yep. every time you open your mouth, the first thing that better come out is I'm bigger, faster, and stronger. You understand? They're like, Yes. I'm like, okay, do you want to go to lunch on Thursday? Like, yeah. I'm like, no, you're supposed to say I'm bigger, faster, stronger. Yes, I'll go to lunch on Thursday. They're like, oh, you got me, man. Right. So it's again, that's the discipline of, you know, saying it like say at first out of your mouth. I would see it with the identity statement, too. I'm a man of excellence always keeps his word. I mean, I say it so much to like if I stub my toe instead of saying a cuss word, I'm like, I'm a man of excellence always keeps his word. You know, it's like (laughs) so whatever they are, just be committed to saying them. Well, and that's, you know, I kind of say, I, I'll focus on what I know that, that where they think their deficits are. And, you know, so I am smart, I am confident, and I am capable. Right. I measure up to everyone, and I am valued. So it's, you know, it's kind of, I tailor mine to be where I know that they think that they maybe are lacking. Because we do, everybody needs positive self-talk statements. I mean, affirmations mantras. If you want to bring Tony Robbins in, we'll turn them into incarnations. But we've all got to have good self-talk. And we've got to talk that talk every day. Right. Which goes back to my commitment, consistency. Right. So you got to be consistent with it. You got to be committed to saying it and do the and pra- actually practice it. You know, even when you don't feel like it, like that's the time you need to say them, especially when you don't feel like it. You know, you got to make yourself say, it, you know, over and over and over. And isn't it amazing? The more that you say it, the more that you believe it. Right. Then that's the beauty of that rectangular activating system, right? The more you feed it these truths, the more it begins to believe it. And it bec- and then and then what happens is you're and you know this as a neuroscientist, then your behavior begins to line up with how your thoughts are. You begin to subconsciously start doing the stuff that you need to do to get to where you want to go. Well, you know, it's interesting because I've always been a big believer in affirmations and I used to write affirmations for my clients and I decided, you know, that's, they need to write their own affirmations because those affirmations need to resonate with them. 
So, okay, I started this. How do I gracefully get out of this? And I found an app called Think Up. And you can go in and you can, and there's probably many apps that do the same thing, you know, but it offers them the opportunity to write their own affirmations and use those for their weak minds. It really does have a lot to, to offer. Andrew, I want to thank you for being with me today. I appreciate it. And I know your 2021 is going to be even bigger and better and stronger.